Oh, Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Uh, Hare Krishna. Let me just um, begin. Every day there's a different problem. Anyway, so uh, I was late again, and today I haven't done my prayers. So um, I will do them now. Let me make sure that I'm pinned here. And that I mute YouTube. All right. Om Ajnanati Mirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha 
मुखंकरोतिवाचानम पंगुलंघयते गिरिं यत्कृपातमहं वन्दे श्रीगुरुं दिनतारणं वंचाकल्पतरुभ्यश्च कृपासिंधुभ्यैवच पतितानां पावनेभ्यो वैष्णवेभ्यो नमो नमः वन्दे श्रीकृष्णचैतन्य नित्यानंदौ सहोदितौ गौरदाये पुष्पवंतौ चित्रौषंदौ तमोनुदौ वन्दे हं श्रीरामकृष्णौ अभयचरणसखौ सुखदौ परमानंदौ सुंदरौ सुबलप्रियौ Okay, very hasty, but um, I don't know, somehow there's always something with these passcodes and uh, technical difficulties. But today I was only one minute late. So, welcome everybody. Let me hide my Kantimala because I know it hits the microphone. Welcome everybody. Today we're going to be talking about the 24 gurus of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the 24 gurus listed by Anavadhuta when Maharaj Yadu asked him, why are you the way you are? Why do you behave the way you are? So he basically said, uh, I owe it to, the, to these gurus. And he makes a list of 24 gurus. And um, we made the point many times that uh, it's not about the 24 gurus. There are, there are infinite gurus. And it's about how Sri Guru manifests itself as a principle through, well, anybody and anything. So I'll keep it short on that side because um, today the guru is the moon and sheesh, where to begin from, right? Um, <clears throat> sorry about this sniffling, but it's constantly allergy season here in Costa Rica in the forest. The moon, uh, well, this is the usual overarching point of these verses from the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam that reality the truth is in your face like the sun and the moon like the earth so far we've seen the guru screaming at us like as the earth as water as air as fire as ether we've covered the most basic constituents of matter that you cannot not run into like earth <laughs> and um and yet we're so blind and deaf to the one important message that takes so many facets that comes to us uh, through Sri Guru and in, 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 in all these forms. So today, Sri Guru is screaming at us as the moon. Who is not aware of the moon? Uh, obviously, the sun is more prominent. I'll be making a whole case <laughs> about how Shri Guru, how the sun is uh, Shri Guru for us. Uh, when the time comes, you know, the next, possibly the next verse will be about uh, the sun as the Guru, the Guru coming to us as the sun. But today it's all about the moon. So you name it, right? It's all over secular poetry, Western poetry. Uh, poetry of so many societies and civilizations and uh, historic periods. In our tradition, in the Vedic tradition, uh, probably even more so. Keep in mind that 
most ancient civilizations used to be based on a lunar calendar because the the moon has a pretty steady rhythm um it's i think that the lunar month is 28 days and a few hours and the lunar days 22 hours and a half i think but then it repeats itself somehow uh, the romans came with a solar calendar that it's all weird and it needs to be adjusted every four years. Okay, the lunar calendar also needs to be adjusted because this year in particular we had a Purushottama mass to kind of like make sure that the seasons of Earth coincide, you know, to make sure that the harvest full moon doesn't come in August because there's always, because, you know, the seasons are always the same just about in terms of solar months, but the moon is always shorter and shorter. Anyway, what I'm saying is that the moon is quite prominent. It's connected with the harvest. So let's let's have an overview of um, the moon as a celestial body, as a, a divinity, as just any influence it has on us, just to appreciate, well, what we're talking about, to have a common knowledge of what we're talking about, and then see the most uh, esoteric or transcendental teachings we can get out of that. Um, the moon is connected with the harvest. Yes, because it, it measures time and then it tells you when it's harvest season, the, the famous uh, Rasalila moon is called harvest moon. And so the, if there's a one way to think of Krishna easily. You think of the full moon and you're like, oh, that's the same moon as when Krishna felt so romantically inclined and so yeah, whatever passionate to, 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 to call the gopis with his flute and any full moon, at least once a month, <laughs> you will think of Krishna. And what about Gaura Purnima? And what about Balaram Purnima? And what about our whole calendar, right? It is a, a lunar calendar, like we were saying in many ancient civilizations. So um it, it's almost impossible not to think of the moon and not to think of the moon in relation to krishna and if something puts your mind in relation to krishna then that's shri guru coming to us we should respect that as a guru like wow you made me remi remember of krishna you reminded me of krishna that's the main uh say occupation of the guru especially in our path, because, you know, Guru is a teacher. You could have a, a Veena a Guru, a Tablas Guru. <laughs> uh, and still, I mean, it, it goes to show how prominent a figure it is in Vedic, um, all the way down to modern Indian sensibility and, um, and uh, customs, that the Guru is very much revered. You, you will just n not go anywhere without somebody teaching you from your parents, from, you know, there's always a good in your life. There's always a point of reference, somebody who is ahead of you on the path, somebody who knows better than you, somebody who's more than you in any way and that you can take advantage of. So that's really what we're talking about. Again, we're not talking about the sun, the moon and, and the moth and the, and the hunter and the pigeon and the prostitute. Okay, so um, like I said, it's going to be a very easy class today because how not to think of the moon and how not to think of Krishna in relation to, to the moon. All our days, uh, you know, Ekadashi, Ekadashi is in relation to the moon. Ekadashi just means 11th. Eka means 1, Dasha means 10, 
Ekadasha means 11th. Ekadashi is feminine because Titi is the name of the lunar day. So that's why, you know, Nityananda Trayodashi is the 13th day after full moon or new moon. They, they all call, they're not called um, Monday, Tuesday. Okay, they also have names in relation to the planets, but the Titi for that kind of calculation, they're just called first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, after full moon and after new moon. That's all. So Ashtami, you know, my Guru uh, Maharaj, Sri Tripurari Maharaj makes a point about um, the fact that Krishna appeared on an Ashtami, on Janmashtami. So, um, and Radharani appeared on Radhashtami, on another Ashtami. Now I cannot remember, well, Krishna Janmashtami is clearly in the Shukla Paksha, so the, the white wing, it's called, so when the moon is full, because it's right after Balaram Purnima. And then Radhashtami, I cannot remember, it's after a new moon or a full moon. I think it's after a full moon also, because it's roughly one month after Janmashtami, I think. Regardless, Ashtami is in the middle, right? If you take this period between, uh, if you take a Yes, the period between new moon and full moon, you get 15 days. So half of 15 is 7.5. So, you know, Krishna was born on a midnight, uh, at midnight. So between uh, Saptami and Ashtami and, Radhasht and uh, Radharani, well, I don't know if she was born at noon. We fast until noon. But you can see midnight and midday, and they're all born in between. But then when they combine, Radha and Krishna combined made a full moon. And so when Mahaprabhu appeared, the moon was full. He appeared on a Purnima, uh, except the moon was um, hidden. You know, there's so much poetry, so much, uh, I don't want to say romantic vision, but, uh, well, you know, poetry is the, the, the language of beauty, the beauty that's in, in our heart, the, the beauty we know we belong to. And so that's why so many things are seen well, poetically, let's keep with this terminology. So um, they say that the moon was ashamed when Gaura Chandra appeared. Gaura Chandra means, well, golden moon. And so, because the moon is beautiful and everybody uh, talks about the beauty of the moon in poetry and in you know, romance, etc., but the moon has spots. You can see all the craters and the sea of tranquility and you know the, there's a whole map of the moon based on all the valleys and they, they look like 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 uh, blemishes on on a face because the moon corresponds with the face too and we'll talk about that so when Gaura chandra appeared the moony the moony the moon was um ashamed and so it got hidden uh, because it was a lunar eclipse that's all that happened <laughs> a lunar eclipse so um so that's a nice point. Every time it's Ashtami, every time it's uh, Purnima, uh, which, by the way, it's not Purnim, it's Purnima. Please don't say Purnim. It's like if somebody said Christmas or Thanksgiving. Purna, Purnima. So on Gauru Purnima, it was um, the original one was um, a lunar eclipse. I remember once I was in Milan. And Gauru Purnima was on another lunar eclipse. I was so emotional. I looked outside the window. Typically, an eclipse is uh, inauspicious in many cultures. Because, again, because of how prominent the sun and the moon are, 
they give us life they give us uh you know the vedas talk about the influence of the moon on vegetation and on water and we'll talk about this in a second too so the really really prominent celestial bodies krishna says of the among the stars i am the moon now Prabhupada in his comment says that therefore we see uh, that for the vedas the the moon is a star it's kind of like i don't know if people get really attached to this it's just nomenclature it's just doesn't matter what astronomy considers a star or a satellite or what the vedas call uh, a star according to i think according to the vedas peanuts that are legumes for sure can be eaten on ekadashi so if the set of parameters if the parameters to consider something are different then why get so attached but whatever even linguistically you can understand to mean look at the sky you see a lot of white dots and a huge disc in the sky i am that out of everything what represents me between a tiny dot and the moon it's the moon. That's what Krishna means in that verse of the Bhagavad Gita. But that's one more reminder. You look at the moon and you think of this verse in Bhagavad Gita, which I have um, somewhere. I noted it. Let's see if I can um, find it. Um, it is Bhagavad Gita 8. No, wait, that's Srimad Bhagavatam. Where am I? Oh, I think I lost it. Well, it was the fifth chapter, I think. Aham, Nakchatrana Maham Shashi, of stars, of constellations, or among stars, among constellations, I am the moon. Okay, so, so you can see how I said it's going to be an easy class. You see the moon, you think that Krishna is the moon among the stars, because he is the most among anything. The biggest, the most important, the most beautiful, the center of, of attention. You can think of Jamashtami and Radhashtami and Purnima. Balaram Purnima is coming uh, next, the next festivity. And then Krishna appeared in the Moon Dynasty. Yadu, Maharaj Yadu, um, is uh, from a descendants of uh, a line of uh, Kshatriyas that come from the Moon God. One more reference. Or you could think that there's a whole thing in, in with the... Um, Gee, who was it? I think Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami was struggling with this uh, verse saying that uh, the Kama Gayatri is a description of Krishna represented by 24 moons and a half. So his face is a full moon, his cheeks are two moons, his um, dot is um, another full moon. And then he's got 10 uh, finger-like, uh, moon-like fingers and 10 moon-like toenails. And then I think his forehead is a half moon. And he was struggling. He was like, where is this half syllable? Why is the Kama Gayatri 24 syllables and a half? Because it was like... <laughs> Turns out it was a grammatical consideration because uh, Ya and Wa are semi-vowels or semi-consonants. And so if you go... Kama Deva Yavitmahe. The Ya, I think it's the Ya, could be counted as a half syllable, because even in Hindi and Bengali nowadays, you would say Kama Devai, Kama Devai Vitmahe. And it would sound virtually the same. So, anyway, one more thing, one more reason to think about Krishna in relation to the moon, and of course, Sri Guru in relation to the moon. 
Because again, as I say every single time, Shri Guru is ultimately Krishna. Acharya Mam Vijaniyat. It should be known that I am the Acharya. Um, because what does Krishna, I'm sorry, what does the Guru do if not, okay, so let's stick with this metaphor of the moon. <laughs> I totally, I go back to the whole harvest and, and, and the water. Those are just technical things. But let's, this is very important. So it's very important that I say it now and that I don't run out of time. Um, the moon reflects the light of the sun, the splendor of the sun. So again, next time I'll be making a whole case on, on how the sun is Shri Guru. But uh, today <laughs> it won't apply. Because again, it, it's, um, it's not an absolute truth that, hey, you said that the Guru is um, the sun. Are you saying the Guru is the moon? The Guru is everything or Krishna is everything. I hope it's clear. It's worth repeating it because um, if there is one thing that is detrimental to the life of a sadhaka, excuse me, not it, not not that it's the case of any of you esteemed uh, listeners and viewers, but a lot of people may tend to think, well, is it like this or is it like that? You say it was like this. How can it be like that? That is your first uh, enemy, uh, this kind of mentality, because um, we're talking about the infinite, where all contradictions are harmonized, the absolute, where all contradictions are harmonized. So it'll never serve you uh, to think like that. So anyway, today we're saying that the moon is the guru. So if Krishna is God, is, is, if uh, the sun is God, because, you know, do I need to explain it? The sun gives life to the whole planet with um, evaporation of the ocean and then the rain and then the photosynthesis in plants. And, and again, the, the, the rain, the waters plants and the plants feed animals and animals feed other animals. And then um, everything depends on the sun on Earth. So it's life giving. And um, it gives us light. We can see, we can understand, we can know. You can see that, right? But the moon reflects that. So the moon points to the sun at all times. When it's full, it reflects the sun. And it tells you where the sun is because it's right opposite. But also in every phase of the moon, you know, sometimes the moon is shaped like that. And if you see the moon shaped like that, it's pointing like a round arrow to the sun. It means that the sun is in this direction before the moon. Sometimes the shape of the moon is like this, and it means that the sun is here at different, you know, uh, angles. Uh, sometimes they're very close, you know. Uh, after when it's new moon, the new moon is uh, in, in the same position or say direction of the sun. That's why you don't even see it. But because the lunar day is shorter by two hours and a half, the next day, the moon is already two hours behind, so 12 degrees uh, behind. And so you see a little sliver, but it's still very close to the sun. It looks like a little sliver. So anyway, the point is that the moon points towards the sun, and that's what the guru does. It reflects the light of the sun. It, it um, you know, Srila Prabhupada said that the guru is as good as God, somebody I think very early on in the 60s, I think, 
uh, I think it was at the Matchless Gift store. Shri Prabhupada said, tomorrow we're going to have initiations. And um, I think Kirtanananda Swami asked, uh, what does it mean? What, what does that involve? And um, he said, it's, uh, it means to accept a guru for as good as God. Which imagine hearing something like that as a totally clueless, no matter how enamored they were with Sri Prabhupada, it's like to accept a person as good as God. I thought you were a charming little old man who is just, just very charming. Everything about you is so bizarre and weird and, and novel. And, you know, in, in the 60s, uh, they were looking for anything that would just break the mold and the knowledge and, and the love and this and that. And he was, and, and Srila Prabhupada was fitting the bill, but accept him as good as God. And then, you know, those who had the great fortune of coming in contact with um, Srila Sridhar Maharaj, when he heard that, I don't know if he heard that or uh, he made his own separate point, but he said the Guru is better than God or more than God. Because without the Guru, how are you going to know what God is, you know? And uh, it's better than God because you can relate, you can have a, 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 a what's called, a relationship with the Guru. You can say, Guru Maharaj, what would you like to eat today? Or anything, and he can chastise you. There's so much more interaction that goes on between Guru and disciple, if you're lucky. And um, they couldn't go on with God because how can you relate to God in, in, in terms that are practical from your level of uh, conditioning or self-realization, if it's even started? Another consideration is that the sun is the sun, but, you know, it's pretty much an, exp an explanation of what I just said, another way of saying what I just said. Who can look at the sun, you know? There are some yogis that stare at the sun until their pupils become super, super tiny, but I think they fry their nerve, their optical nerve and some kind of austerity. But typically people cannot look at the sun. They can see it's a beautiful sunny day here in Costa Rica and I can see the golden glow of the sun reflected off the leaves and I can see the sky is blue. These are all effects of the sunlight, but I wouldn't dream of looking at the sun I mean, <laughs> I have green eyes, so I, it's, it, you know, it's really painful to look even close to the sun, in, you know, in the direction of the sun. Imagine looking at the sun. But can you look at the moon? Yes, the moon is uh, soothing. One of the first times, I have a thing that, well, I have a thing with languages. In fact, I teach languages. And I remember the first time I hear a new word. And I remember the first time I heard the word soothing in English. And it was about the moon. And I, I don't think there's a, an equivalent in, uh, in Italian. I mean, soothing means calming, uh, also cooling, refreshing. Um, so anyway, every time you think of the moon, you think of the word soothing, or sooner or later, somebody will say soothing, especially in a Vedic, in a Vedic um, context. So the sun is all about passion, fire, creation, the day starts. And because uh, even the lunar day is uh, determined, well, say the moon goes from Dashami to Ekadashi anytime during the day. But if Ekadashi 
because the lunar day is 22 hours and a half, so one, two, one, and, a, one and a half shorter than the, than the solar day, if the 11th lunar day ends before sunrise, all of a sudden, the, the previous dawn, it was Dashami, and the next dawn, it's Dvadashi. So where did Ekadashi go? By the way, in case you were wondering why sometimes we celebrate Ekadashi on uh, Mahadvadashi, that Dvadashi becomes Mahadvadashi because um, of that reason. Uh, conversely, if the 11th lunar day, so if Ekadashi is Ekadashi for just half an hour after sunrise, because at sunrise the moon is in its 11th day, then the whole day is considered Ekadashi. So for us, for how we run the, our lives, the beginning of the day is sunrise. The sun is much more prominent. In, uh, in, in our measuring of time and so many things. But it's a ball of fire, so the moon reflects that light. It makes us reflect <laughs> on the light of the sun, on like, wow. And, um, but you can relate to, you can meditate on the moon. You can, you know, um, also the moon appears in the darkness where we are. The sun is so gorgeous, you know, Krishna never comes in touch with uh, material energy. Even if Vishnu, the, he can probably think of matter and gives it life like that. But, oh, I mean, look at matter, consider matter, and glance his uh, beautiful uh, glance over the um, conglomeration of material ingredients. But that glance already is Sadashiva. It's like not even with his eyes, Vishnu gets in touch with matter. But um, the Guru is, you know, for all intents and purposes, one of us. Of course, you can see a moth as your Guru, etc. But the Guru you can take the most advantage of is a person because we are persons who are identified as humans and uh, it's just the birth we've taken. In fact, in no other birth, of course, you know, the, a demigod birth counts as human, but as an animal or as a plant, you just don't have the hardware to take advantage of any teaching of this sort. So we're humans, we need a human guru. And so the guru appears among us for all intents and purposes. He, you know, he or she looks like a human with a, a, a perishable, uh, faulty body, if you want to see it that way. Um, so that's the parallel between the sun and the moon. The moon reflects the light of the sun, it points towards the sun, but it appears in darkness where we can uh, uh, relate to it and it sheds light in the darkness. So super, super important. In that way, you can understand now how Sridhar Maharaj says the Guru is more important than God because you cannot directly relate to God. Of course, you can relate to a murti, to a deity, but how are you gonna how are you serve in a deity if a guru hasn't given you the instruction, or a, a sadhu, you know, through the scriptures? Um, but I mean, you know, in general, you cannot worship a deity if it's not under the auspices of a of a sadhu. Unfortunately, nowadays you can buy any deity in any gift shop in India or in in any gift shop in the West of a temple. But uh, it should be stressed and understood that. You know, our mission is so small that 
it's uh, this point is not lost on us. Like I just came from dressing Daoji Gopal, especially Daoji Gopal. They manif they are expanding from my guru's heart. We're worshiping our guru's deities here at Audaria. They're worshiping uh, Guru Maharaj's Gornitai and. It's not like any temple is like, okay, let's get some deities and install them because we do all the rituals and for the preaching because we need to offer food and it's good. But especially if the Acharya is gone and, um, <laughs> and a heck of a mess ensued on account of that because whatever, there are different realities. There are different Godia realities in the world. But we have the, the luck of being part of a very small uh, mission where up until a few years ago we were asking our guru what the deity should wear and what we should offer not for lack of uh, expertise just because it's they it's his deities they come from his heart <coughs> so in a way god comes from the guru from the guru's heart but then again somebody becomes a guru because he puts god he has nothing but god in his heart so it's a it's not really causal in the way that you would understand that you know not like, not like the god is an invention of the guru but anyway i don't need to explain to whoever is listening that unless you're super brand new um the what does it mean that the deities come that the form of god comes from the guru or you could take the same point on a much, much higher level and say that if there is a Gopinath, it's because there are Gopis. If there is a form of God who is the lover of the Gopis, who interacts with them, who steals their clothes, who is all, uh, no, I don't want to say kinky, who is all like flirty and, and, and um, does all the things that 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 krishna does with the gopis is, is because the gopis elicit those feelings those sides of his personality out of him if there is a yashoda nandan it's because there's a there's a yashoda and if there's a govinda it's because there are coward boys and cows so even god is um that's a point i was going to make much later <laughs> so now i have no ground to stand on let me let me think if i can organize my thoughts in fact i had it in the shower whatever i was thinking about uh it was about diversity how the feeling well yeah it's an overarching point that i make all the time bhava shapes tattva feeling really tells you well, feeling really creates uh, reality. So that's what I meant by if there's a Gopinath, it's because there are Gopis. If they have love for God in a certain way, the Absolute takes that shape. It's hard to wrap your mind around uh, that if, well, if you don't have the right philosophical premises. Um, but it can be explained even in terms of uh, quantum physics. It's all about uh, the shade of consciousness, the, 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 the frequency, the, the, the tune, the usual example and metaphor I do. I'll get back to this. Oh, we're running out of time again. By the way, we might do this over two lessons because it's, it's, it's such a huge uh, topic.
Ah, let's see. I talked about something way too soon, and now I don't have enough elements to kind of like drive it home. All right, so back to the point. Let me finish the point of uh, the moon. As um, the guru as the moon, because it reflects the sun, it makes us reflect on the sun and the, the, the splendor of the sun in a way that we can contemplate. And it points to the position of the sun at all times. When it's full moon, when it's shaped like a C or like a D, it always tells you where the sun is. And isn't that what the guru does? Now, I'm going to go back so that I can kind of like reorganize my thoughts to what I was saying at the beginning. So just a bunch of technical stuff. <clears throat> um, the Bhagavad Gita also says, and I have this one noted somewhere, chapter 15, 13, it says, I enter into each planet and my energy, they, huh? and by my energy they stay in orbit. I become the moon and thereby supply the juice of life to all vegetables. Again, how can you not think of Krishna by looking at the moon, by thinking of the moon? It's just so ubiquitous in so many ways. Like I said before, the moon dynasty, Ashtami, Purnima, Ekadashi, and um, it's, it's just impossible. So why are we not Paramahansas yet? I don't know. It's, uh, it really goes to show. <laughs> Guru and Krishna go out of their way like I said at the beginning, to scream the message at us, as big as the moon, as big as the sun, water, can you ignore water? And we ignore it every single time. We get in touch with earth, clearly, because we're not ghosts or, or, you know, whatever, anything that only flies. We get in touch with water, earth, fire, e well, ether, <laughs> uh, sun, moon, and, and still we don't get the message. So who... I don't want to talk in terms of fault, but, you know, the, the onus is on us to, once we get the first initial drop of mercy, we should always check our pulse and be honest with ourselves. Am I really taking advantage? I mean, it's coming from all over. Shri Guru is all over. So I was talking about giving juice, giving um, <clears throat> um, um, taste to the vegetables. Well, the moon is uh, acting on uh, gravitationally. Um, it has quite a pull on Earth because it's much smaller. I think, I think I saw. And of course, it doesn't matter if we subscribe, not in my case, to the Vedic uh, cosmogony, cosmography, or what the NASA says. It's all to make a certain point to really think of Krishna and Guru. So I remember seeing a map where the whole of the US surface we're covering the face of the moon so that's how small the moon is of course it's a 3d sphere um and still it has a gravitational pull on the on the earth on the earth on the solid mass of earth they kind of pull on one another but even more so on water because it's got a, a weaker molecular molecular structure and and, and um <clears throat> Yeah, structure. So that's why the, um, what are they called? Tides happen. So according to the Vedas, the, wa the water in our bodies also, um, the humors, if you want to talk in terms of ancient medicine and um, you know, sensibilities, the humors in our body get all stirred up by the presence of the moon. 
and I do lunar gardening. Oh, by the way, this this is to explain Ekadashi. Somehow on the eleventh day, it is said that the how do they say the influence the senses press more like the water there's more pressure in our body so it makes the eyes want to see more and the and the tongue want to taste more and the genitals want to generate more or whatever <laughs> that's how they say it and so you want to you know eat less not eat technically you should fast entirely on ekadashi but you know my guru maharaj likes to say that on account of that krishna's senses are um more excited so we got more service we he wants to smell more flowers so let's make a garland for him let's cook a feast for him etc so you know there's always a way to harmonize everything and see it in a in a good positive at a higher frequency that's um that's what's important that's what i'll be saying all throughout and and repeating while talking about sun moon ether earth water which is kind of secondary Okay, so um, Ekadashi is explained, and now lunar gardening. I'm a fond um, practitioner of lunar gardening. Basically, it says that, um, well, given a zodiac of 360 degrees, and given that the moon goes around the zodiac over a lunar month, 360 divided by 12, which are the sign, uh, gives a window of... Um, of what 30 degrees and so every two days and a half the moon is in Aries, taurus gemini cancer etc and of course when the moon is in a water or earth sign and it's uh, uh, uh waxing the influence is on what's above ground and uh, and it's a fertile day when the moon is in a in a fire or air sign which are infertile you don't want to plant, you don't want to do anything. And, um, and then, of course, if, like I said, waxing means above ground, and when the moon is waning, the influence is uh, on roots, so you want to plant trees or potatoes or transplant, because uh, going back to the pool on the water, the, it keeps the water closer or, or, or farther from the surface, so the capacity of roots to absorb water, etc., etc. That's how the flavor is conveyed to vegetables uh, by the moon, because uh, plants sit in a soup of minerals and uh, essentially minerals. So as the water gets more absorbed and closer to the leaves and to the fruit, so do all the minerals, and that's what gives flavor to the to the, the fruits or vegetables that we eat. So again, no more excuse. You eat a juicy carrot, an apple, you can think of Krishna. I, I, an apple is your guru, you know, whatever makes you think of Krishna. You have a very juicy apple. It's like, wow, the moon really did a good job <laughs> on this apple. And uh, again, you're thinking of the moon and, and the moon is your guru, et cetera, et cetera. We, we really have no excuse. It's all around us. Um, here's another point about the moon. You know how it's, um, um, yogically speaking, what would they be called? They're called Nadi. It means a uh, channel, river. And uh, I think they are the channels that go like a spiral and um, 
through which the Kundalini energy is supposed to rise or wake up and rise to the last chakra. So there is a uh, duality. You would have <laughs> you wouldn't have guessed. This is the the, the world of uh, duality. So there is hot and cold. There's masculine and feminine. There is giving and receiving. There is whichever expression of, du of duality. If you are, uh, you know, familiar with our path and our philosophy, it, it, it goes all the way into the. Um, well, you can find it in the Tao. You can find it in uh, alchemy, in, in medieval, in uh, Western, <clears throat> uh, in the Greek, all over. You know, it's very easy to think in terms of male and female, hot and cold. Now, because of, uh, I don't know what, patriarchy or, uh, it's a very, very important. Once I made a whole research on witches and, and women in history, and uh, it was very, very fascinating how women are intuitive. Women were the shamans. They can intuitively know what medicines will heal you. And, and women are in touch with the moon, you know, the menstrual cycle, the cyclicity. It's very much, even linguistically, mon, month, and menstrual. I'm sorry, moon, month, and menstrual are all connected. The power of given life, is, the, the woman is like, it's the magic and the, 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 the it's, it's hard to describe, it's like baffling. And what is the power of men? To curtail women. <laughs> Because <laughs> they have the brutish, uh, uh, you know, strength and, and the logic or over the emotions. Somehow they manage because they're gentle. One is aggressive, one is gentle. It's a sad state of affair. But uh, if you can find a balance, then, um, and, you know, Vedic society is patriarchal. But if you really study it, it's all about the balance. So anyway, back to the sun and the moon. Yeah, it's, it's apparent now that we're going to be doing this in two lessons. Um, maybe, we'll see. Or maybe I'll go longer. How about that? Do you have anywhere to go? I don't have anywhere to go. This thing is recorded, and um, we'll see. Um, so, sun, moon, hot, cold, giving, receiving, masculine, feminine. I was saying because of the patriarchal what uh, bias we have uh, imprinted in us. We're like, hey, why is the moon feminine, weaker, uh, whatever, you know, one is logical, one is emotional. Somehow we tend to ascribe, uh, not ascribe, uh, assign a, a validity or a, what's it called, valence or a value or judgment to one over the other. Why is, uh, okay, so why is masculine active and feminine passive? You gotta have both, that's all this analysis is aimed at making you understand, first of all, that there's a duality and that one doesn't work without the other. So, we'll talk about the sun when the lesson is on the sun, but the moon is feminine. It corresponds with the feminine, cooling, calming, intuitive. So, <laughs> one thought I had is that one teaching of the moon, if we see the guru, the, the moon as our guru, what is the teaching of the moon when Sri Guru comes to us as the moon? It's be feminine. What? <laughs> there comes Shamasundra with his gay agenda. Uh, well, unless you're already a woman. Be feminine means, um, 
well, you know, you could take it from low all the way to the highest means be gentle, be humble, tolerant. Um, you know, uh, women are tolerant, especially, gee, I don't want to say that a woman is fulfilled only when she becomes a mother, but just let's flow with this. As a mother, a woman, or as a wife, <laughs> a woman learns to tolerate a lot of things and, and uh, any which way you can analyze it. You can see how there is a, a, um, a parallel between being meek and humble and tolerant and, and passive in a way. And when I was doing that um, series of lectures on um, uh, pranayama, I learned, I already knew it, but I kind of realized more and better how being passive is the key. If you, if you listen to them, I remember saying that at some point, you know, as, as Vishnu, Mahavishnu emanates, breathes out uh, the world as we know it, that's how it starts. Whereas our world as a baby comes with an inhalation. So whatever, whatever is an out, an out breath, an exhalation from the point of view of God is the beginning of life from the material point of view and all kinds of analysis of that sort. And so when you retain your breath, when you give it all out, they say that when you breathe out and then you retain your breath, How's it go? When you do kumbhaka, kumbhaka means you retain your breath with your lungs full, you become conscious in, you know, in due time of the soul, of the self. Clearly, because you're like, you know, you're like very conscious that you exist. You're like, oh my God, am I going to explode? Or you're full of energy and it makes sense. But then when you do kumbhaka, which is called, how does it go? Oh, forget. When you breathe out and retain your breath, you become conscious of God because you realize how you depend on everything around you and everything around you is everything, the absolute, the rest of the absolute. You realize that you're just an enclosure, a little drop in the ocean. What creates the difference between you as a drop and the rest of the ocean is your sense of self. But you realize there's a whole everything outside represented by the air that you're craving. That's the whole point. You breathe out, you're like, First of all, it's kind of blissful if you, if you know anything about pranayama. And you realize I'm emptied out of that air and I'm still myself, but now my consciousness is on the outside because eventually you're going to need that air. So you're going to need that energy. You realize I depend on, on that other, on the tat. Tat means that, that the Vedas keep talking about. And you realize that there is a, a you become very aware of the relationship between you and the absolute and the other. So that's one thing. But also passiveness means when you stop, that's true of pranayama and meditation, when you stop wanting to achieve, when you just let go and let God, when you just uh, observe and listen and everything that happens is, is going to be good, is precisely what you need to go through. That's when life starts working, ironically. So that's how the moon tells you, be feminine, be passive, let it go. There's a higher uh, intelligence, there's a higher design, there's a higher will, which is yours. It's not like surrender to another person. <laughs> you know, it's always risky when, um, but it is our philosophy, is it? It is achintya bheda abheda tattva. We are separate from God as much as we are the same. 
I don't like to say that we are God. I like to say that God is us. Ultimately, there's nothing. Excuse me. My phone is being loud. Ultimately, there's nothing but God. There's nothing but consciousness expressing itself in infinite ways. So, yeah, God is expressing himself as me right now, struggling, noticing, wondering about the, the wonder of life within matter, within spirit. Well, very much within matter in my case, and still just experiencing. So, um, but the separate interest is what uh, steeps us in this whole as much as intrinsically we are god experiencing himself then we are so separate that um what was i talking about oh i hate it when i lose my train of thought as i speak oh eh. i was talking about separate interest and that ultimately god is us so be passive so, yeah, the higher nature, the higher will, the higher intelligence is not something other than us. We need to realize that we are consciousness. We're pure consciousness as well. And also, you know, uh, quantitatively, quantitative. What does quantitatively mean? From the point of view of the absolute, of the infinite. It's just a way of, of, uh, of conceptualizing it, of describing it because we don't want people to think oh yeah i'm god i've heard people say i'm god i'm everything that there is now i used to think they're deluded or they're like wishy-washy maybe they knew better than me back then because of some realizations i've had over time but it is a risky way of thinking i'm i'm, I'm god i'm everything that there is you, you cannot even control your diarrhea should you have it uh, Anyway, it all depends on the level of consciousness, on your um, way, on how you can read the environment. And um, that's why the fullest fool and an avadhuta and a paramahansa look the same, behave the same for all intents and purposes. What changes is their, is their inner, uh, is their level of consciousness, their, how they read the world, how they function in the world. So anyway, let me see if I can finish one point. Um, Anyway, we talked about the, the technical stuff, why it is that the moon gives taste to the vegetables. We explained Akadashi and even Mahatvadashi. We explained that, okay, so I was talking about the moon saying, being feminine, be passive. So much more can be said about that. Hmm. Because, Gee, I hate when I have realizations in the shower because I can't write them down. <laughs> I remember, I was in the shower this morning realizing that. Well, you know, it's the usual mm, paradox of man. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> mankind. You know how you say, before man appeared on earth or mankind can destroy the earth or be the steward of the earth, etc., etc. Well, it turns out that the prototype of any mammal is female. We should say womankind. And the Y chromosome is just a necessary uh, mutation that has to appear every once in a while to perpetuate this, this species because there has to be, well, some kind of diversity or, you know, something at the level of chromosomes. But I haven't heard, I've heard more than once that that in time, human 
let's say humankind will develop in such a way that women can, could be just uh, uh, generate themselves like parthenogenesis, like a, like a, like a, like a starfish. I don't know, but they say that the the Y chromosome is not that essential. That explains why men have nipples, why embryos until testosterone kicks in, they're um, neither male or uh, they're they're female. And then the genitalia shape get get warped by the testosterone, and that's how you get a whole um, male body and a whole male psychology given by well, of course, society and, and a bunch of values, and then just increased f uh, physical strength and so so much so many things. But it's kind of ironic that um, it's uh, we should talk about womankind and. The moon tells us be feminine because Ekala Ishwara, how's it go? <laughs> Ekala Ishwara Krishna. Oh, I can't remember it now. Ar Sabbritya, I think it is. Krishna is the only Ishwara, the only Lord, the only Purusha, and everybody else is a subordinate. Okay, so that's the point I was going to make. Am I advocating the submissive wife? who doesn't even call the husband by name, but calls him Swami, which means master and who eats after the husband. In a way, in spirit, I couldn't care less personally. Uh, that certain societal and, and, and down to the physical dynamics are in place. I'm talking about the, the Purusha Bhava and the, what would you call it, Prakriti Bhava. As Jiva souls, we have the prerogative we can feel as purushas we have a certain autonomy a certain what's the word i'm looking for <clears throat> whatever we can function as uh, purushas and we are so so you talk about jiva shakti because we emanate from god and he's the only purusha and jiva shakti is quite peculiar because we're little tiny units of purushaness and shaktiness. We are shakti in relation to the Lord, and we are purushas of our own world. Many times in previous lessons I said how, in previous classes I said how, we're really just the Mahavishnu of our material bubble. Whatever is true of Mahavishnu, now, I don't want to say it as an absolute because I don't, it could be misconstrued in some ways, but it's pretty safe to say that whatever is stated about Mahavishnu is true of the soul. Mahavishnu in relation to matter, to the universal bubble, is true of the soul. I am the only inhabitant. I am the, the grain of consciousness in my whole world. You're like, what are you talking about? There's a gecko right there. We're sharing the same world. No, I mean, I made the point of virtual reality and it's it's uh today is not the right day i'll make it maybe during the moth <laughs> when i'm when i'm talking about the moth i have no idea how how to how to how to show that the moth is our guru so maybe in that class i'll talk more about how we are the mahavishnu of our, how consciousness creates the world around by imbuing it with its uh, with his or her well its vision which is what quantum physics uh, are backing up right now. Consciousness shapes reality. Bhattva, uh, bhava shapes tattva, which is how I started with the gopis creating Gopinath. 
So be feminine, be prakriti, be energy, be feminine in nature, obviously, uh, and therefore acknowledge Krishna, who is the only Purusha, the only source, the only energetic. Uh, as much as we can be Purusha, that will create distance. Um, so, so many teachings come from the moon. Now I'm debating if I should do, I think I'll go longer on this one. I don't know that I should do two lessons on the moon because uh, you know what? I started one year ago. I'm still, I, don't, I guess there's been a few months in between without these classes because of internal turmoils. But uh, let me just go through my um, ver, uh, notes. Oh, yeah, by the way, another way we can uh, remember Krishna is the very beginning of the, of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And, and the verse that incidentally I, I chanted today because I didn't have time to do my prayers before. Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityanando Sahodito. Udita means risen. Sahodito. They were risen together. Gaurodaye um, on, on the Gaura Udaya on the horizon of Gauradesh, Bengal. Pushpavanto. I looked up this word, I, I couldn't find it. I know it's in the dual case, but I don't know what's this Pushpavanta or Pushpavan. But anyway, it means the sun and the moon. We know that the verse means that Gaur and Nithai are like the sun and the moon appearing at the horizon. Full is the uh, implication because we do see a little bit of moon close to the sun when it's uh, the first day of um, waxing moon or, or the last of waning moon. But uh, Gaur and Nithai are like full moon and the sun appearing on the horizon. So that verse alone, when you see the moon, you should remember, go to Nittai and, 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 and become blissful. Then we talked about Krishna saying, among these tiny dots in the sky, I am the moon. <clears throat> then we talked about the moon giving flavor to vegetables and fruits. So you can't not think of Krishna and, and the Guru. Uh, well, you can't not do it because you do eat, you do taste every fruit and vegetable that you eat every time. And it would be good if you didn't because you have to be conscious of, you know, you absorb the prana and, you, you know. That's why they say you should take prasadam in silence. It's something I fail at <laughs> drastically every time. But it means it's a meditation. It's like wow, these are the remnants of Krishna and Balaram in my case. How lucky am I? And the taste, and on and on and on. That's why you honor Prasadam. If you, if you talk casually, you're not in an, honorable, in an honoring mood. Then, <clears throat> in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the sun and the moon are equated to God's eyes. That's a very interesting point. Because in antiquity, I remember watching a documentary saying that up until the Middle Ages, well, up until Newton in the 1600, I think, because, you know, uh, Newton came up with optics and he said that if you see, <laughs> yeah, I'll just go along because this is very interesting stuff. If you see whatever you see, it's because life, light reflects off whatever object. So there is a truth and a, con well, not counter truths, but two truths 
that can be drawn out of this from Western science and from ancient knowledge, and they both serve our cause. So let's talk about this. So in antiquity, they said, now let's stick with Newton. Newton said that if you see, seeing is a passive thing. What happens is that light reflects off the surface of anything you see. And so it hits your optical nerve and, and then the brain makes sense of it. What is the truth behind that? Well, first of all, is that uh, we talked, we touched on it very indirectly and, and vaguely when I said that the moon reflects the sun, the splendor of the sun, and um, <clears throat> but then I was talking about, you know, a higher point about the guru uh, giving the example and being as good as God or better than God, etc. However, we could meditate on the moon reflecting the light of the sun from a, you know, freaking material point of view, not materialistic, I mean physics. Okay, suppose you're in space and the sun is behind you and there's nothing else, no stars, and that's a whole other thing. In astronomy, stars are self-luminous bodies. Somehow the Vedas say that the sun, everything reflects the light of the sun but you could see that they're trying to make a point of what really matters to the human experience and um, to make a much higher point, but whatever. Uh, let's take out the stars. If there's only space in front of me and the sun with the brightness of the sun is behind me, I couldn't see anything at all because there's no dust, nothing. If there's not a... Mm, you know, a, a particle of matter to reflect that light, I couldn't see it, I couldn't perceive it. So it goes to show how this world is just a reflection. What you see is a reflection. This bottle, which is like the protagonist of my <laughs> classes, because I stick it into every example. If I see blue, according to optics, to, to uh, you know, modern science, it's because the molecular structure of this bottle is such that it absorbs every electromagnetic radiation that we call light and color, but blue. So it reflects the blue. And that the same goes with any other color. So we really just see the reflection of things. Isn't that what the Vedas say, left and right and backward? This is just a reflection, chaya. Chaya means uh, shadow and reflection there's not they're not too fussy in in, in this term in these um, as far as this term so yeah let's stick with reflection because a shadow well i could cast if supposing that there's just me with the sun behind i would cast a shadow but even that i wouldn't see it, it, it without any frame of reference <clears throat> so this world is but a reflection and always perceive is always a reflection. Our eyes, um, you know, perceive the body because it reflects light. We'll never, we never see the soul. Conversely, uh, where does it say Brahma Sanghita? Or anyway, we we do know that the spiritual world is self-luminous. There, every atom is effulgent, self-luminous. It doesn't have to reflect light. It's the truth, it's the parameter, is what is there. What is here is just a virtual world. 
that's another teaching from the moon. And um, <clears throat> let's see. So, uh, yeah, just to close this point, up until Newton, the power of seeing there, sorry, I just muted myself by mistake. The power of seeing was considered an active thing, like the eyes were considered mm, like uh, lighthouses or, yeah, like, you know, because I cast my glance towards this watermelon, there's a watermelon on my table, um, I see the watermelon. If I move, if I focus my glance on the cobwebs on my ceilings, then the cobwebs, cobwebs for, all, for all intents and purposes, come into being, exist, matter to me. Again, consciousness is the parameter. And like I said, quantum physics are there to back us up. The observer determines the outcome of the experiment. So again, consciousness, and I use consciousness and bhava. Bhava means feeling because... Um, well, consciousness is a very elusive concept and substance and reality, first of all. But um, emotions are a very strong energy. Feelings are a very strong, strong energy. I'm sorry, but jeez. Uh, our, our cat Harini passed away last uh, Thursday, precisely one week ago. And boy, despite knowing Bhaktivedanta for like 31 years, the waves of grief, uh, so that's why I was saying emotions are very strong. All the love I had for this cat turned into pain. And so I get these waves of grief, and it's unsettling. And uh, so don't ever underestimate emotions and feelings. Um, but, you know, it, at least it proves that I can love, that I'm a, I'm a source of feeling, I'm a willing I'm a, I'm a loving unit. I just need to find a better object of love than the body of a cat. With all the love I had for Harini, we know that the perfect object of love is Krishna because he is as, well, eternal as we are and absolute and perfect. So if you don't, if you don't ever want to feel grief, I will get another cat. But until then, you know, eventually, ultimately, <laughs> you want to choose Krishna as the absolute object of your love. So feelings are a very strong energy and consciousness is energy. So consciousness shapes reality. Bhava shapes tattva. And that's true from Goloka Vrindavan down to here. It looks like we all live in the same world. No, because, you know, this, the day we had to put down Harini, it was a beautiful day. There were flowers everywhere on the street. But Gaurasundar and I were in tears and, and totally devastated. And it was the same day as, you know, the car next to us was perceiving. Not the car, the driver. Oof, so anyway, the grief is still haunting me. And I, somehow it just came out <laughs> in this dissertation on uh, Tatva. And Bhava. So um, I was saying that quantum physics proved this point that wherever I cast my glance, and that's what Mahavishnu does, he casts his glance on matter, and that's when matter matters. That's when matter comes to life because life is in consciousness. Life is in, well, Mahavishnu in that uh, context, in that analogy. 
life resides with consciousness, feeling, meaning, significance is with consciousness, not with what consciousness projects it or itself onto, especially matter. And so that's how matter comes to life, when consciousness um, focuses on it. And so the eyes of Vishnu, or the sun and the moon, are seen as eyes in this active sense. And then in a way, Newton just took the magic out of this um, vision. But uh, again, we, we, we drew some Siddhanta even out of Newton, that this is the world of reflections. Yes, light reflects off matter, and that's all we perceive, not the real thing. So, let's see if I can wrap it up. Oh, names for uh, moon, since Krishna is equated to the moon many times. Chandra, Krishna Chandra, Rama Chandra, Gaura Chandra, Nitai Chandra, etc. Indu is another name for um, moon. Uh, Krishnendu doesn't sound very nice, but you can also see Krishnendu. Um, Yadavendu, the moon of the Yadavas. And then Soma is typically the name of the, the moon god, the divinity that presides over the moon. And uh, Soma, Somaras, Soma means elixir, nectar. And um, <laughs> nectar of immortality. You can see that the moon never dies. It looks like it dies, but it's... Well, I guess immortality doesn't mean being born over and over, because uh, that's what we do, but that's you know, reincarnation, sorry, I'm just rambling, is like on the, on the plane of death, which is what this is called, Maraloka, that's Mruta. Amrita means immortal. So the moon is all about immortality. Why? Here's another point that I'm masterfully <laughs> sticking into this one that was going nowhere. Another teaching of the moon is, uh, we, we saw... Uh, the moon uh, saying, uh, be feminine, be passive, stop being a, a macho, stop being the Purusha, because you're not the Purusha. There's a better will, there's a better Purusha, there's a higher reality that you want to uh, conform with, not merge into, but conform with, and it'll be much better off for you. And the moon also, tell, also says, grow up, do like me, become fool. Um, experience your fullest potential, become a full moon like me. So what's the fullest potential of the soul? What's the fullest potential of consciousness? Well, it's infinite, infinite potential. Many times, I, I, I'm sorry if I speak in slogans, but I say that the potential of matter is zero and the potential of spirit is infinite. So we need to strive to this <laughs> quality of life to this frequency of the infinite that's where god resides right we need to perfection means seeing life through the eyes of god that's all tune into krishna radio and then you won't even see matter matter wouldn't even matter like i said krishna doesn't interact with matter it needs to you know tune himself down frequency wise you know Balaram, it's like, you know, a gradient. I don't know if you know Photoshop. You have a gradient from white to black. If you have the, the first pixel on the left is pure white, but the second one is pretty much pure white. But somehow it becomes black all, you know, along the, the spectrum. 
So you have Balaram, the first expansion, and then from Balaram comes the first Chaturvyuha, Vasudeva, Sankarshan, Pradyumna, Aniruddha, then the second Chaturvyuha, and then Mahavishnu, um, Shiroda Kashai Vishnu, Garbho, no, sorry, Garbhoda Kashai Vishnu, Shiroda Kashai Vishnu, and even then, Like I said, God only looks at matter, and the look is Sadashiva. So he has no contact with uh, matter whatsoever. Where was I going with this? Nah. The potential of uh, consciousness is infinite. Sorry, I forget. Um, but the sun is telling us, grow up, go purna, become complete achieve your fullest potential and that cannot be found in matter so um, you know you know what i mean by that your fullest potential and uh let me see if i can wrap it up at the 15th minute of delay uh well one good one thing i didn't say is that the moon presides over the mind so the moon corresponds with the face a lot of times krishna's face is is um, equated to the moon why because the moon presides over the mind and where do you see somebody's mind not in his elbow on his face his face expression and also krishna is equated to the moon well the, this correspondence between krishna moon and face is because the face is the highest part of the body is where the senses are where you can see the best imagine if your eyes were on your ankles it's the highest part you can see you can hear you can uh, smell perceive the world is like the highest part of the body and so it's worth of, uh, of a God, of Krishna. And the moon is uh, also, well, whatever, that's what I'm saying. There's a correspondence between Krishna, the moon, and, and the face. And the face, because the moon is fickle, like the moon, sorry, the mind is fickle, like the moon keeps changing. It's full, it's not full, it keeps changing. But also because... Um, um, what are we saying? The face. The face expresses somebody's state of mind. And um, I think I've said it all. Yeah. Right. Next time, I think we're going to talk about the sun. And sorry, I'm still thinking. Yeah, let's wrap it up here. I'm glad I could... Um, Oh, I think there's a question. Is there? So Shraddha Devi says, Pranam, if yoga literally means union, <clears throat> does that mean a union between mind, body, and spirit? Also in the prayer that you mentioned, as you know, Pushpa means flower. That much I know. That's same here. So maybe Pushpa Vanto refers, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> <laughs> it looks like I'm not going to be able to answer. <clears throat> uh, refers to Gaura Nithai have bloomed like flowers on the horizon of Gaura. I really couldn't tell you. I couldn't find that word anywhere else. Pushpavanta. Pushpavanta. Yeah, Pushpa means flower. Somehow it means the sun and the moon. So now, what did you mean? If yoga literally means union, does that mean a union between mind, body, and spirit? That's usually how they say, yeah. It means 
the union, well, so many things, the, the, the lower self or the individual self with the higher self or the absolute self. So um, say individual consciousness with the absolute consciousness or your lower self with your higher self. And they also say union of uh, you as a soul and your mind and your body. You know, Atma in Sanskrit means self and everything that yourself identifies with. With So your, your, it means intellect, it means mind, and it means body. So it would be a very good thing to line them all up in, a, in an organic, transcendental uh, vision because it's in the interest of the Atma, the moment the Atma realizes it's a relationship with the higher self. So in that sense, yeah, mind, body, and spirit. Okay, so my voice is, uh, my, my throat is protesting. I realize that I speak very fast compared to either the usual class where people, are, you know, they make a lot of pauses and um, and I guess I have a fast brain. I hope it doesn't come to the detriment of, uh, but whatever, this class is recorded. So anybody can watch it anytime, any, as many times as um, they want. Let me see if there is anything on uh, YouTube? No. So I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm very thankful for this uh, occasion to talk about the moon and, and Sri Guru most of all and Krishna. And uh, it's all very inspiring. So it's not lost on me that the, I am the first one who benefits uh, from these lessons. That's why I stick with them. So thank you very much for your attention and uh, patience. And I'll see you next month. Shri Guru Gauranga Ki Jai.